Welcome to the Healing Health Podcast. I'm Amber Petty. In this episode, I'll be talking to Professor Alison Hutchinson from Deakin University's Institute for Health Transformation. We'll be talking about her research into how we go about improving care for our older people. Join us now in the conversation. Lovely to meet you, Alison. Thank you. Wow, this subject we're talking about today, how we care for our older people, is such a huge, huge subject. In fact, only a week ago I read, um, I mean, there's stories all of the time uh, in the media about just terrible care people seem to be getting in our aged care homes, which is, I'm, I'm sure, a very general term, and I'd like to sort of find more out about it from you. But... It just seems to be this ongoing story that we don't seem to have care for our elderly well enough. It's also one of those things that seems to be a little bit like until it affects you, people don't get really up in arms. Mm. And then it almost feels like, um, because I've been having a lot of conversations on social media about this lately, because I I posted an article or a column that was written by this guy from the Courier-Mail about his experience with his 90-year-old mother and people were really coming out and you know obviously with their stories and it's just a myriad of things and people feel very hopeless so I'm really excited to sort of have someone like you that's done research into this space and can hopefully give us a little bit more insights on what genuinely are the problems and if there hopefully is some solutions in the future. So let's start at the beginning. I know that part of your research is what you call partnership-centred care, but I'm just not sure what that actually means. Do you mind enlightening me? Absolutely. So partnership-centred care is really building on the notion of person-centred care and this idea around person-centred care or people also talk about patient-centred care, Mm. but it's really putting the individual person at the centre of the care planning process and the um, assessment process and Mm. so on. So it means that all care is really determined by and guided by what their needs and preferences are and it, it also involves including them in, in the process of developing the care planning and so on. And partnership-centred care in the context of aged care is really it builds on that, putting the older person at the centre of care but also incorporates the relationship between the family members and the staff in the process. So the notion of partnering together is about the family and the staff working together to support the older person to ensure that their needs and preferences are met. It's really a key relationship um, to a collaborative relationship and it's really Mm. very important. If you have poor relationships between staff and the family members, then it does result in poorer outcomes for the older person because you haven't got a really good you haven't don't have good communication and collaboration. The family are often the people that um, know the person best, and especially with someone with dementia, they can really advocate and uh, describe that person's life as it was previously, and they know what their 
interests were, what their likes and dislikes were, and they can really advocate for that. But if the if the staff don't engage with the family mm. to understand those things, then they're not able to incorporate that into care planning. And it's really important that those sorts of things are taken into consideration because um, particularly with someone with dementia, if uh, you're approaching them in a way that is um, not going to be conducive with what they their preferences are or what their beliefs and values are, then uh, it will not um, um, result in good outcomes for that person and that can actually stimulate them to express behaviours that um, are not conducive to a good um caring environment mm. so yeah um that really resonates with me personally because my father um had alzheimer's mm. um and i i would imagine he had probably had alzheimer's for you know a couple of decades before we actually realized something was wrong but by mm. the time we realized something was wrong um it seemed very quick that he went downhill yeah and um so I know, obviously, Alzheimer's and dementia are slightly different, but under the same... It's a form of de- dementia. Cor- yes, mm. that's right. Yeah. And there, I mean, I I think when, when you're the loved one or you're the carer, even if they're still at home at that point, but mm. you're obviously needing to get them into home, because I know with my father I said to one of the nurses that was visiting him uh, that, oh, you know, should I be should I be moving to somewhere where I can care for him? And mm-hmm. she said, no, please don't do that because it, it's a lot and you won't be able to keep on top of it like, you know, the mm. professionals will. Mm. So, um, but it's a very, you know, you're learning every day um, of what is, w- w- how this person that you once knew is now reacting very differently. Mm. And that mm-hmm. even though you feel it in a space of helplessness like you don't know, what's going on anymore as yeah. you said potentially you do know more than wherever um they are certainly going to go yeah. in the in the first instance but i guess also because you do have that time and you do have that longer history so i mm. love the sound of this yeah partnership and when i read partnership centered care I, I i kind of didn't know what so i was like oh okay is this going to be oh how we work with you know aged care franchises or you know what or whatever it is but this is no this is about the relationship relationship yes. yeah and the and fundamental yeah it's really very it is very yeah fundamental i think um that having and the, as you say the family bring a huge knowledge of that person and can actually really enable staff in caring for them because um, they can say to them, no, he doesn't like this Mm. or he he would never have liked tea with milk. Mm. Um, He Mm. always has his tea black, so don't serve it. Or he doesn't Mm. like sandwiches, so don't serve sandwiches to him. Mm. Those sorts of things that the older person may no longer be able to express Mm. and that knowledge um, the family holds. So it's really important to be... Um, and enable the family to be involved in the care because yeah. um, families often feel huge guilt when they have to ultimately move someone into an aged care facility because they've been supporting them at home for a long time yeah. and they feel guilty that they're not able to continue doing that. 
And so it's really important that they're given the opportunity to participate Mm. in the care of the person. They probably have been doing things like facilitating them to go to the toilet, attending to their personal hygiene Mm. with showers and so on, assisting them with feeding, doing all that. Drinks, you know, knowing what they like to drink or eat. Yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden they're in this environment and the family feel excluded and pushed Mm. away. Where they it's a big actually, leap. It's a big bad leap that yeah, it feels like, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and so bringing the family in can actually support the staff to do their job um, and and make the job mm, easier for mm, staff mm. if the family are enabled to participate in the care of the the older person going yeah, forward. Yeah, and so tell me about your research. Like, when did it start? What's it entail? How have you got the you know? How have you gathered kind of the data on it? And then yeah. what are you doing with it? Or what have you done with it? So our research, a lot of our research has been based on a model of care that was developed here at Deakin, the trifocal model of care. It was led by Professor Beverly O'Connell. And um, the trifocal model of care was developed back in or first published in 2008. uh, And it incorporates three fundamental components that philosophically underpin the model, Mm -hmm. and that is partnership-centred care, The other component is evidence-based practice and the other component is a positive, um, healthy environment. So they're key fundamental elements of the model Mm. um, and essentially they're a no-brainer. You know, the partnership component, um, using evidence to guide practice and then having a positive and healthy environment all make Mm. complete intuitive sense. So this model really has a nine-module education program that uh, underpins it. And is this the online course? That this you've is an created? online course that's available oh, on the Deakin website. It's freely available as open access, and the modules address what is partnership-centered care, leadership for working in residential aged care, how to manage change and also addresses key aspects of care such as continence, mobility, hydration, depression and so on. So there's sort of there's modules that address those key elements. Who is it designed for to use? So essentially it's designed, well, it was originally designed to be available to anyone. So staff who work in residential aged care, Mm. family members Mm. and residents themselves, so those who are able to. Mm -hmm. So really anyone could complete or work their way through the modules. The the model is really a whole of organisation approach. So it's a real it's a philosophical approach. It requires everyone to be on board from the chaplaincy services the domestic service providers, as well as the direct care providers, so personal care workers and nurses. So anyone who works in that environment needs Mm. to understand the philosophical approach to care and that partnering with the family as well as the older person is the way that we operate here. Mm. And so the so we did some work implementing this model. We were funded mm. by the Commonwealth to implement the model into seven residential aged care facilities in Victoria. And really that's sort of been the major implementation work that we've done with the model and our other work is focused on continuing to develop the modules and update them uh, in relation to 
the evidence. So as the evidence changes, as government policy and standards change, we update the modules as well to ensure that they're contemporaneous and, uh, you know, really relevant. And the other piece that we are doing is, um, we have been doing for the last three years, is an online future learn course that is run three times a year, or three times this year, and it is focused on partnership-centred care. So it is a two-week online course that's run periodically, mm-hmm. yeah, purely on partnership-centred care. So, so with the with the online course that you presented to. The Commonwealth funded you to Mm -hmm. share with Seven to implement. Um, How was that received? And with so much kind of anger and confusion and kind of disgust out there in the wider community about Mm -hmm. how we look after our Mm -hmm. older Australians, which we just shouldn't be having these, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be feeling such shame about or, or confusion about how we are as a nation in terms of how we care for our older people because people, yes. it's really not in line with, I think, how we feel about ourselves as Australians and what we represent. Has the feedback been good? And if it has been good, like if it's been well received and it, and it feels like a really good guideline that the residential um, care companies can say this is what we look to and this is our template and our guidelines and therefore the um, the workers can also have something to say, this is something that I can follow. Mm. Why isn't it being pushed out to more and more? And if it is such a higgledy-piggledy space in terms of some being good, some being bad and all of this sort of stuff, mm. would it work better that it's literally the government says you all have to work to this particular model and you will be audited accordingly? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I wished it was a simple There was a simple answer. I guess in terms of implementing the model, we... We, it took a year to work with the seven facilities. We had varying, I guess, cooperation from uh-huh. the facilities in return in response to the implementation. Was that from the um, the owners or the uh, stakeholders of the businesses, or was it from the staff? It's really from the staff. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, what was their issue? So, well, I guess when the when we first developed and. Uh, developed the project and identified which facilities would be interested in working with us, we had senior people agree, Mm. yes, we want to be part of this project. But in the time between submitting the application and then getting the funding and getting through the ethics application process, some of those managers had moved on. So then you have, you're dealing with a different person in the facilities as the, the key lead mm-hmm. um, manager. And so they're not necessarily on board because this is some idea that a predecessor has agreed to and convincing them that it's this is important is you know, challenging sometimes and we found that we had those sorts of issues. So, yeah, often I think one of the key things in any implementation work is the leadership and the culture of the facility or the ward that you're working with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is the people. And the culture. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah. And so that can be a huge barrier and it actually can make or break um, an implementation 
process. Mm. So we had a lot of work to do to convince people that this was, you know, a worthwhile endeavour, even though partnership-centred care, evidence-based practice, which is what they should be doing anyway, and um, a positive, healthy environment would be no-brainers. You're not asking them to do anything that's really out there and and goes against what they feel is their role or... or uh, Yeah, so it aligns with the values of the organisations we were working with and so on. So we had this um, 12-month rollout, rolling out the education program and working with the staff. We had masters prepared nurses who were working with each of the facilities. Um, What are they called? Masters prepared registered nurses who were working as facilitators to support the What's implementation. What's a master's prepared? Um, nurses who have done master's degree. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I ask questions, <laughs> think it's going to be more complicated than this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and when we, and we followed up, we interviewed um, family members and um, residents mm. before the study started and then we followed up and interviewed again. One of the challenges in aged care is because they're older people, they usually can't um, interview the same people in 12 months' time because they've, they've, not, just, yeah, they've yeah, died just... in that period of time. Uh-huh. So we did have a handful of people that we had interviewed at the beginning and at the end, but at the end we also had to interview people that hadn't been involved at mm. the beginning. But nonetheless, the response we did have important findings about from family members that they felt and and residents that they felt that their preferences were being heard and they were being listened to and they were being much more engaged in care planning and assessment and and so on Mm. so yeah and and the staff's perspective when we interviewed staff they were also very positive now you could argue that they were positive because they felt that that was the socially desirable response that we were expecting yeah. them to, to say yes to it's wonderful great see you mm. later off you go let me do my job yeah let me <laughs> move on yeah um and so so that's interesting but I think families and residents were probably our most important I guess informants really because they the one they were very honest um, about what mm, they yeah. felt and so their their comments and feedback to us were really important and we mm. have published that work so where that is that was, work published it's published in the journal of nursing scholarship Partnering with businesses big and small, Deakin offers world-class research and development expertise, first-rate facilities and global leading talent to develop game-changing solutions. Ranked in the top 1% of universities globally, Deakin is a world leader in research across multiple industries. Whether it's tackling the challenges of health systems in society, developing future materials for a circular economy, or shining a light on a brighter energy future, Deakin Research can take your business to the next level. To find out more, head to deakin.edu.au slash collaboration. Deakin, more than a university. Going back to, say, the seven residential care facilities facilities that you um, worked with, shouldn't the aged care candidates who are being given the jobs... It feels like it shouldn't be that hard to work out Mm. what type of person Mm -hmm. those people should be. Mm. So that's one thing. Are we doing 
a good enough job with recruiting Mm. and should there be more emphasis and assistance to these residential care bosses and and HR people to get the staff right because they're looking after people that are as precious as looking after preschoolers and kindergartens and creche, you know, they're the vulnerable two ends of our society. Exactly. And then, though, what are we we paying them Mm. so therefore – who is taking those jobs or who is not taking, who is not going for those jobs because they're like, I can't really afford to live on this and I kind of want a better life. So I'd have just start by saying that with um, our mm. implementation, we did have facilities that really embraced the model mm. and then we had others that really um, rejected it. Mm. But um, Which is human nature. You're going to get is. different responses. It is, po- yeah. yeah. And it comes back to the leadership Um, and the culture of the environment, which is driven by the leadership and so on. And I think having the right people is absolutely key. So Mm. your question is really pertinent um, about the qualities of the person that you have working in residential Mm. age Mm. care. And emotional intelligence is a really critical factor. Yes. Having that emotional intelligence, being able to have empathy, empathy and yep. compassion are really key, key. elements of what um, a worker in residential aged care needs to have. And that's not a given. Like that, they're, they're two things that not everybody has. No. And you see that. Right. And, and not everyone should have. You know, there's things that they have yeah. that we, you know, other those yeah. people don't have, but yeah. those two should be key. Yeah. So they've got to have integrity. And, and be trustworthy and, and all those mm. elements mm. as well. And also they need to have skills. So for a registered nurse, mm. she needs to have an understanding of uh, knowledge of ageing and the ageing process, yeah. the physiological changes as well as the cognitive changes that happen for a person as they age and the physical and um, social and emotional and psychological needs of the older person as they age so mm, that they can mm. support and care for them. So there's, you know, that it's a, one of the most complex aspects of caring for, well, any people, you know, our, our under, undergraduate nurses are third years before they go into residential aged care uh, and do their education around caring for older people. And we do that because... We know that these are the, one of the most complex groups of patients mm. that they will be looking after. So they have to have really good foundational knowledge before they um, start to work in these settings. Mm. So it is it is really complex, and I think that as a society we haven't recognised that we have dismissed older people. There's a real ageism element that's problematic but so ingrained that it's it's really problematic because aged care is not considered an important aspect of care Um, we have very few geriatricians in this country what do they do? Um, geriatricians. They're just specialists in? Specialists in caring why? for older people. Why? And they're a really a fascinating group. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know. and the geriatricians that do exist are fabulous, you know, compassionate people who who really understand um, the ageing process yeah. and, uh, and, you know, we need more of them. But we also need to be able to elevate the 
respect that's given to nurses who work in aged care. Yes. Um, they get paid less. If you work in residential aged care, you get paid less than they do... Why? Um, their, colleague, ..their colleagues in the acute care setting. Why? Because they have a different um, agreement and there's um, completely well, there are, obviously... different level of payment. So... So, so at, at that level, at that... Which is, you know, getting the the rate that you get paid is important to people's sense of self worth. Yeah. We have automatically our uh, workers who nurses who work in residential aged care or aged care settings are automatically um, devalued by the rate of pay that they get offered. So this is part so of that, the problem. Yeah. So. Yes, so that is part of the problem. So if there was more government funding that went to aged care, um, the the non-private aged care facilities, then they would be able to pay their nurses more. Mm. So therefore there would be, that would be the sort of snowball effect in the right way rather than, you know, paying paying these people more. Yeah. But then everything else drops away. So, you know, if the government doesn't step in, then everything else gets sort of worse. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, I've thought a lot about this. I've had a father recently in residential aged care. Yeah, it gave me a really interesting insight because, you know, having done a lot of research in residential aged care and we've done a lot of observational work and going and observing interactions between staff and residents and family members and so on, sitting with my dad for... You know, hours. Mm. Um, I saw a really different view to Mm. what I did, as and and my observations have been from a researcher perspective. Mm. And I think it gave me a unique insight. And and, you know, I've talked about this with our team because I said, you know, I don't know whether when necessarily when we're doing observations, we're really capturing the reality of what's going on mm. because I mm. saw lots of things that concerned me. Because you're sort um, of saying it, if you're sitting there with him for hours, mm. then you're really getting an experience of what it's like to, for an to, extended to be period him. of time. Correct. Absolutely, Because yeah. things are really just coming and going and flowing the way they would on a normal yes. day. Yes, and I didn't – and my concerns were um, that certain elements of care were not as I would have expected, but I could also see – from a different lens, that there were staff, like three staff to look for, look after 20 residents. Mm, mm. And they so they're trying to deliver care to 20 residents, mm. many of whom have dementia and have high care needs. I could see that those staff had really, they physically could not have done what they needed to do mm. for all of those people mm. because they were trying to get them to meals so they've got to get them down the hallway to their dining room for their meals mm-hmm. and then feed them and then get them back and in the space of a day delivering all the care to all of those people was physically impossible do you have inner hopes or fears or, or you know what do you hope for for the future and certainly by well, the time you and I are kind of at that point and, and hopefully someone is working yeah. with us as a partner. The, the crux of the problem that um, we encounter in trying to translate evidence in practice is we get resistance from health professionals who say, well, 
that might be what the evidence says, but I do it my way because this is what I think works. And, you know, that's what I was encountering with Dad and um, that he was being given medications that the guidelines specifically say you shouldn't give to people with dementia. And uh, and they're not my guidelines. They're the World Health Organisation guidelines. They're Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare guidelines. You know, not they're not guidelines I was making up. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know, not like it's, you were walking down the halls, going, "Look at all." You know, here's my here's my guidelines. You all need to. Mm. So wow. that's you know, I'm somebody with some knowledge. A lot more and, knowledge than the average person. Yeah, and and but I was a daughter in that in that situation. So I'm not there as a health professional, but I was trying to advocate as Dad's medical power of attorney and his daughter, trying to advocate. So um, I felt oh. very disempowered. So oh. I can appreciate, you know, the whole um, partnership-centred care approach yeah. is hugely challenging for a family member to try and initiate. It really has to be driven by staff because the families yeah. can't, they're, they're, you know, very, they're powerless yeah. and I they need to be, the, the staff actually need to engage the families and enable them yeah. um, to participate. They Otherwise, families are very, um, very vulnerable. Thanks for joining in the conversation with us about our healthcare system. If you'd like more information on any of the topics or researchers in this series, simply head to iht.deakin.edu.au.